0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is believe. Hey, it's state of state. We got your nitty line update. It's a football discussion with Tom and Justin, so kick back and press play.
1: With former Penn State and NFL cornerback Justin King, I'm Tom Hannifin. This is State of State. This podcast is presented by BetOnline, your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for college football, the NFL, plus baseball, boxing, golf, and more. BetOnline continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting, plus your favorite casino and card games available to play right on your phone. Head to betonline.ag or use your mobile device to join and be sure to use our promo code BELIEVE. That's B-L-E-A-V to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. State of State is presented by Online, where the game starts. Also, State of State is a proud supporter of Blue White Outfitters. Blue White Outfitters was created as a retail shop meant to highlight the confidence, competitiveness, and fearlessness of the elite athletes found throughout the history of Penn State University. Check out the latest Lockdown U and Lawn Boys merchandise today. All sales from Blue White Outfitters directly benefit Penn State student-athletes. Visit www.bluewhiteoutfitters.com today. And if you're looking for the perfect beer for Penn State football season, we've got you covered with the State IPA. Special thanks to our friends at Funk Brewing for creating the best tailgate and game day beer for Nittany Lion fans. State IPA is available now at beer distributors, grocery stores, Funk's tap rooms, plus select bars and restaurants. Visit www.funkbrewing.com slash beers state IPA to learn where and how you can get State IPA. Check out the link in the description of this podcast for more information. Must be 21 years or older to purchase. Please drink responsibly. All right, Justin is back in Pittsburgh. I'm back in Philadelphia. We had a wonderful weekend getting together in person to deliver the show to you guys after Penn State defeated West Virginia. And now the still number seven Penn State Nittany Lions will host FCS opponent Delaware this Saturday at noon Eastern on Peacock. So that's a very important thing for all of you watching out there is that if you don't have it, try and get it as soon as possible. This is an uh, unfortunate change in college football, but that's just me personally. Anyway, uh, there's a lot of positivity surrounding the team. I know in our last episode we were talking about like, hey, things felt good and that, you know, you could see that there's the potential for this team to be great, for this team to be elite. Uh, now that we've had a couple of days for everything to, to marinate, Justin, What are your final thoughts on what we saw this past weekend against West Virginia?
2: I feel like they had the making of a a powerhouse team, right? And a week one where there's a lot of different areas to continue to build on. I think even initially after the game, I didn't realize how good Drew played right until you come back, watch a little bit more of the film. Obviously, the numbers speak for themselves, but like he was doing a lot of great things. Um, Just the efficiency in which they played, uh, I think it was understated how... The receiver room actually answered the bell in week one. And we talk about Absolutely. that just like all the, the throughout the offseason, the question marks of them. And I think they answered it. I mean, the coming out party for McLean, coming out party for, I mean, I can't say coming out party for Keandre because that's our one touch guy. But four for 123, it really excites me from that perspective. Um, obviously, we talked about Drew Aller, but bro, uh, Brope, Bula. I mean, he was impressive. I, I didn't realize he was that big, I didn't realize he was that athletic. A lot of different things with him. And uh, so, like, the question marks on the offensive side were answered. Obviously, we, we talked about a little bit of the leaky defense, the leaky um, run defense, all those different things. And even that, uh, you would like to see that put to a point and looking on more of the dominant side. Uh, I felt, I mean, Curtis Jacobs, he really had a, a very instinctual dominant performance out there. And just wanted to see the rest of the guys continue to step up and play. I think Johnny Dixon played a really nice game as well. I'm seeing a lot of different things uh, when I went back after the initial uh, post game. But I think it's it's a great week one win to be completely honest. Where it's you feel good about what you put out there. You feel good about the different question marks on the roster, but also a lot of growth for coaches to continue to correct and ramp up for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, We're recording this on Tuesday. This episode will come out on Wednesday, the 6th of this week, leading up to Delaware. So earlier on today, yesterday, for those watching and listening, uh, James Franklin had his usual press conference, just kind of recapping the West Virginia game, answering questions, and then looking ahead briefly to Delaware. And I think it's very interesting, some of the names that you just brought up. Bo Perbula, there were questions asked about him in terms of what they, what James Franklin and the rest of the coaching staff like about his game and that he is compared to Trace McSorley and like a bigger version of Trace, uh, similarities in terms of personality, quiet guys who just want to go out there and compete, do all the hard work, uh, everything that you remember about Trace, it sounds like that is very similar to Bo. But the thing that I took away from the press conference, because you mentioned Malik McLean, uh, is and then the uh, Catron Allen also came up as well, is that James Franklin was very specific to point out Malik McLean and Katron Allen early in his press conference to highlight them because they were not, uh, you know, offensive player of the game, defensive player of the game, special teams player of the game. Like he wanted to highlight them, and I thought it was really interesting because Malik did a lot on special teams. He obviously had the touchdown catch. Uh, late there in the second half. And Catron, while he got out there and he did his thing, I think at 10 carries, didn't get a score, but had a nice day on the ground. What what I felt, Justin, and, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, is that this seemed like two guys that the program really likes and really wants to keep. And it felt like, to a degree, James Franklin giving them their flowers publicly to continue to be like, hey, there's, there's more coming. And, and and I I don't know, I don't say I want to say placating, but also almost using that press conference as a chance to say, hey, Malik, Katron, we got you. You guys are doing great things. We care about you. And I think he's there, we love you at one point.
2: No, I think that's a great point. I mean, in the new age of college football, I think talent management is something that needs to be. Paid attention to especially how you manage your roster and on top of that i think those guys had a very product, productive days as well and so like i think the the praise isn't coming from a fake place and even when you draw the comparisons with uh bro and trace he kind of reminds me more of a tommy stevens that can throw the ball a little bit right when you talk about that bigger package that's like a little twitchy can run do all those different things and especially i mean i've always been a fan of case right Island just the way he runs that's I mean, both of them are my style of running backs, but the way that he ran, like 10 carries for five, having five yards a clip, that's worth being praised if it's not put out there, and especially McLean as a transfer in. You know what I mean? You have not Alshon, but another receiver that kind of had the highlights of the game, but he had some very nice plays. So I think it's, it's authentic to the talent management that comes with college coaches nowadays, like when you're battling against the transfer portal, NIL money, different places, and everyone's constantly evaluating your roster you have to maintain some level of presence amongst these guys and keeping them the juices flowing in a positive direction. Right. Cause even, I mean, we heard Derek when he was on, even when we were winning and doing different things, it's like they want their shine or their um, the ball in their hands. And just even with that being said, it's a lot of promise from those positions. And I think they're going to be key contributors for the rest of the season.
1: I completely agree. Uh, quarterback drew Aller was named big 10 offensive player of the week. Uh, which I know a lot of people were probably looking at that Ohio state game to see how things played out between Ohio state and Indiana, both teams opening up big 10 play and starting quarterback Kyle McCord was good, but not great. And then you look at Drew Aller, another guy who within the conference getting his first chance to be the guy and Drew Aller was great. And I know, in our post game show, we were kind of like, it didn't feel like it, but like it, it felt, it felt obviously very good. And by the numbers, it feels fantastic, but just the flow of the game, it just doesn't, it just didn't necessarily feel that way. And then when you think back on it, James Franklin was talking extensively in his press conference saying, he's like, we did exactly what we wanted to do offensively. And that he realized just how well our was playing. you such probably realized how well our was playing. And it was a situation where, Franklin articulated is that he's not looking for one specific guy. He is looking for the open man, and he doesn't go for the quote-unquote sexy route or the sexy play, meaning the route that would gain the most yards or go for a touchdown or whatever, the one that he likes to throw the most, You know, none of that stuff. He goes where the open man is, and Aller was poised, calm, collected. Yes, definitely situations here where you want to see him eat the ball or you know, throw it out of bounds, something like that. And has the ability to throw the ball in ways that other quarterbacks cannot and that you know, Franklin was articulating saying like, hey, if you're rolling to your right and there's a crossing pattern, do not throw that ball across your body. And it's not to say that Drew Aller gets the green light to do that every time, but it's like, no, like he can pull off some of that stuff, which is crazy. It's really crazy.
2: I think when you, uh, you hit on an interesting point, especially when we talk about quarterbacks with elite arm talent, the one thing that always scares me with quarterbacks with elite arm talent is like what do they want to do with that arm talent? They start to get a little undisciplined with the decision-making and sometimes even just how confident are they in the outside parameters because, you know, growing up in high school football and different things, like you can lean on your arm to make big throws, make bad reads and just kind of out throw the coverage or do whatever you need to do, force balls in there, and that comes with a level of confidence when you have that type of skill set. So I was very impressed, like even more going back and looking at his game. I remember that first, obviously we talked about that play action pass. I think at the beginning of the game, we had the stripe to um Kieran Dre. Just the way, the whole play, right? The play action, reading the reading the the rush, extending the pocket, stepping up. But the one thing that I just wanted to bring attention to is you're talking about making those simple, not simple passes, but the smart passes along throughout the game. But to be able to make that throw and the way he made that throw throws, like a 45-yard like bullet <laughs> on like on the move like a bullet to Keandre. and I mean I'm talking about didn't come probably above someone's chest and just kind of hit him and like that type of arm talent you don't typically see mixed with decision making the move uh, uh movement in the pocket and all those different things reminded me a little bit of like a Ben Roethlisberger I grew up in Pittsburgh so seeing a big guy move around extend the plays and hit guys on the run a lot of Uh, outside floods we talked about the levels concept that that mike likes to run and different things of that nature from the auspices concepts but i mean he looks like he has a a very deep bag when it comes to skill set and just moxie staying in the pocket and moving around and extending plays and for him to be his first starting game essentially coming into the season it's quite impressed
1: extremely impressive to the point that I'm trying to restrain my joy like I'm trying, <laughs> I'm trying not to I'm trying not to get ahead of myself because Penn State fans will probably be like we've been hurt before uh, but you just want to you know take things one step at a time
2: but I guess that's what I'm trying to uh, temper those expectations not even temper those expectations but something to rest on so you're not getting overconfident. because like I mean mm-hmm. decision making is a trait that is someone's personality if he had bad decision making Skills, or he was all over the place, it would have showed this week. I mean, night game, night night game, white stripe out, all those different things. Like, that's when, I mean, if someone isn't built in, like, have some poise to their game, that's when you would see uh, bad decision making. Even when we talk about holding the ball a little bit, sometimes when he was holding the ball, or even when he was throwing away, his arm talent gets him away. With some of those different type of uh, passes, like when you threw it out of bounds and throwing it at—I forget what the running back was—but just throwing it high and out of bounds and not taking a sack. Those different type of things, from my perspective, is just—it just—it—it it, it, it creates. How um, can like I say it? It creates a level of comfort in what you can do with your playbook, and especially when you're saying like hit hit an open guy. And you've seen that with Keandre having four for one twenty-three. You have—I uh, can't remember the numbers, but McLean seven for seventy-two. I think seven for 72, and we barely mentioned them, right? So like just those type of like distribution skills with the talent level, it, it excites me, right? I don't, I don't think someone with that passing talent has come through Penn State, dare I say, since, I mean, Daryl Clark, to be completely honest. When you talk about the package of being able to complete the throws, decision-making, move, uh, move, uh, movement in the pocket and making big plays. I mean, Daryl was a two-time All Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year. I don't know if we've seen that. Even Trace, like Trace, was a, a great running quarterback. He had poise, he had moxie, and all these different things. But when it came to elite arm talent, he he didn't have that. And we look at Sean Clifford. Sean Clifford actually had pretty decent arm talent, but sometimes his confidence and uh, some er- erratic decision making came in there. But like that moxie was there. So like those are the give and takes. He kind of has like a nice flow through his uh like his tank on the different attributes of mm-hmm. a quarterback, which is incredible to see, especially when you talk about that decision making being on point and he plays with just a lot of poise where he's not moving in the pocket, he doesn't have happy feet, he's not seeing ghosts or anything of that nature. And for me, it scares me as a defensive back, but I'm happy he's on our team. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Couldn't agree more. It, it, if anything, and I, I don't want to overstate things. There's a lot of time left in his Penn State career, but, you know, arm talent, you put him up there with Kerry Collins. You put him up there with Todd Blackwood. You put him up there with Christian Hackenberg. But there's aspects of what he does that, at least in one game, you know, as a starter, uh, felt really good. And I come back to that mindset of that he's going for the open guy. And Franklin talked about this is that, you know, when you're locked into one or two guys – Uh, it's it's easy to defend and that you know Penn State in the past has typically had that number one dude I think it was probably as recently as Jahan Dotson that dude who was clearly far and away better than the rest of the receiving core no disrespect to Parker Washington and Mitchell Tinsley recently but Jahan stood out KJ stood out the rest of the receiving core was developing so you could kind of key on one guy and there's questions that have been asked by you and I like hey the tight ends didn't get really involved but it was like no they did great in the run blocking game and then from a Pass-catching standpoint, nine people caught a pass. It, there's multiplicity. You have to cover every inch of grass, and then you have a quarterback who, when throwing to the wide side of the field when you're you know, you're right up against the hash and you're close to the boundary, say, on the left, Aller can complete that 10-and-out that you and I talked about that easily to the other side of the field, and that feels more like a 30-yard throw, really, when you look at it. It's There's ways that the passing game is opened up now. And if anything, maybe against this West Virginia team, they just realized after a while, they're like, we don't really need to run the ball that much. We can take care of the lawn boys, Singleton and Allen tonight.
2: That's an incredible point because I thought about that too as we got done with our last recordings. I like, guess the first game, those guys carried the ball 23 times and we talked about a 14-week season in the playoffs and all that good stuff. But another thing just to highlight is the receivers and the options with that, right? You have somebody with 123, you have McLean, heaven, whatever in the touchdown, and Wallace for seven, for 72. And even, I mean, he didn't play too much, but see for had. A nice twenty something yard mm-hmm. catch and you drop the next one. But when you talk Liam about Clifford, uh,
1: two for twelve, I think.
2: But you're talking about the plethora of receivers and options for a quarterback to throw. And I think that's also a little bit different when we talk about the mismatches of the quarterback, decision making, elite arm talent, and all that good things, but like having a plethora of receivers to throw to to be able to spread the ball out and have running backs. I mean, Theo Johnson didn't have a catch. So like that's another like we're just talking about weapons that didn't even really start their season yet. <laughs> and we're like, okay, what's going on? Because he had three, I mean. Like what, 323 um on the pet on the day? And it's 325, and it's an efficient 325, right? And it's
1: 21 to 29. Damn good.
2: (laughs) I'm rolling with that. I like that. And especially with the plethora of receivers to throw to, because that gives you the option to, like, hey, take the best one and not kind of leaning on, like, hey, I'm going to hit my slide or hey, I'm going to go for Keandre every single time. I'm like, answer some questions that I was thinking that were. Questionable. Questionable.
1: (laughs) The one thing that James Franklin talked about, obviously, you're going from West Virginia and you're heading into this game against Delaware. And James Franklin said in his press conference, "Quote: The best programs make improvements after wins. They don't have to have setbacks or wake up calls to be able to do it. Thinks they need to be more consistent on special teams, create more turnovers on defense, and need to improve on third down on offense." Now, looking at Delaware, I I do not want to be disrespectful. Is an FCS opponent. They were picked in the preseason to finish fourth in the CAA. Uh, their opening game, they defeated Stony Brook, and nothing against that victory. But obviously, this is going to be a different level of competition. Uh, Delaware won that game, thirty-seven to thirteen, largely going away. Offensively, quarterback Ryan O'Connor, twenty-four of thirty-eight, three hundred and forty-six yards, a touchdown, and two interceptions. It seemed like watching back the film of that game. After his first pick, they put in backup quarterback Zach Marker, who is a little bit more mobile. He finished the day four of seven, 68 yards, uh, and an interception. So you've got this situation at quarterback where it's like, okay, they're looking at one guy maybe for the future, and then maybe feels like there's a competition that's existing here, but you've got O'Connor getting the start, right? What I saw on the film is Ryan O'Connor is a one-read quarterback, and that is the kiss of death against lockdown you that is not a great situation this is an rpo offense spreading out a lot of wide receivers they have a fair amount of transfers that actually have come from power five football so it's not like they have slouches at wide receiver there's guys that are going to be able to do some things it's just a matter of the defense the athleticism the secondary you're about to go against it's going to be very very difficult for Delaware and especially O'Connor had a lot of instances where he got locked on to one guy, and if it wasn't there, he started to take off. But against Penn State's defense, I do not expect him to be super mobile to the point that he's burning the Nittany Lions defense. This could be rough sledding for whomever is under center for Delaware this coming Saturday. And then on the flip side, defensively, it was an odd game and that I think against Stony Brook. Stony Brook did not necessarily want to throw the ball this much, but their quarterback finished 14 of 40. For 163 yards and three interceptions against Delaware, watching it, there were some tip drill picks, but at the same time, that's a very impressive line to draw, and you know what that's all about as a a defensive back is that, hey, if you can walk away with that sort of line from a quarterback, that's great, but it seemed like Stony Brook was coming from behind and had to throw the ball to try and stay in striking distance with Delaware and were taken out of their game plan, essentially. Uh, Here's what I ask you. Regardless of what scheme these, this team plays, you've been in these September games against FCS opponents or even low-level FBS opponents that you walk into the game saying, it would take a freaking miracle for this team to beat us. How do you compartmentalize and how do you make those improvements that Franklin was saying against such competition?
2: I think those improvements that Coach Franklin are speaking of is the makeup or the internal makeup of the team, right? Well, you're more so thinking, how do we continuously get better? And when you play lesser opponents, you dominate those opponents. Something like our man Johnny Dixon said when he's on, like, you're just better, you just play straight up. And that's the mentality, I think, that separates good programs from elite programs like whether it's like when we not to talk about what he said yep 100 like that is the difference where it's like all right we play up against good play good teams but man we might play down to the level of this team right or whether whoever they're playing against but the mark of a dominant team is always like what spitting out the rat poison like nick saban says and like how to dominate each week and so to dominate you got to realize like okay what did i do uh, subpar this week, and they get better. Like the dominate is going across the board. So like even we talk about leaky de- le- leaky run defense or not creating enough turnovers on offense, and even running the ball on offense a little bit. But I think that was all intentional. I mean, more so the leaky defense and creating turnovers, those type of aspects. I think that's where the defense comes out and makes their claim because that that gives a defense confidence to just continue to move forward. You're you're still out there. You're hunting every single day, every single snap. And it shouldn't matter who you're going up against. And that's what I've seen, whether it's from NFL players or just guys that just play at college play in college. That's the one thing that separated Michael Parsons from probably any player that I recruit or have been around is the level of competitiveness that he had on a day in, day out basis. Some people pride themselves on being hard workers and continue to get better and I'm going to pride myself on working hard, but it's not really indicated on the outcome or who you're going against. I'm just like focused on myself. There's a there's a special tick when you're going against people in this game of football it's a game of matchups. It's mano a mano, one versus one, Whether regardless if it's 11 on 11, like it's a receiver versus DB, linebacker versus a running back, all these different things. And everybody, all 11 guys on offense and defense have that mentality of dominating their opponent. That's how you continuously get better. And that's having a different Temperature, right? Like you're you're on hundred at all times. So I think that's the makeup and the intentionality that we would like to see from this football team moving forward and that that level of confidence, to be completely honest, just shining through against a team like Delaware. So that means the starter should be thinking, hey, we should be out by the second half. And that's not an arrogant thing to say, but if like we're at Penn State, they're at Delaware and they need to own that, right? Because <laughs> we're not playing part and or begging part in this in this season. At least they shouldn't be.
1: Uh, And to that point, the subject has been raised since the West Virginia game, namely by head coach Neil Brown of West Virginia, that Penn State was potentially running up the score uh, late in the game against West Virginia. Uh, James Franklin did have the chance to address that. I want to pull up the quote here. Uh, Essentially saying that the philosophy of the team is to compete and get guys the chance to play when they have the chance to play. And that when he saw the score was uh, out of reach for West Virginia, I believe it was 31 to seven is when the twos got in on offense and defense, West Virginia still had their ones out there. And the way that James Franklin looks at it is like, Hey, this is an opportunity for our guys to take what we've installed and try and execute it in a live game setting against in this situation, a power five opponent, what proved to be a, a solid team, by the way, that, Offensive line for uh, West Virginia proved to be very solid altogether. And their run defense, they did a good job, obviously, this past weekend. So you you can't fault them too much. But then it's complaining that, like, oh, that late touchdown there by Boker Buell, it's like, I don't know. I didn't see it as running up the score. I know, you know, obviously, if you're a West Virginia fan, you might. But what are you going to do? Are you going to send the twos out there to take a knee? Then, like, what's the point? You might as well keep the ones out
2: there. That's the benefit of having of having legitimate depth, right, on your roster. When the guys are getting in, they're still looking to make plays. Like Bro, bro I always mess up his name. Bro, 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 bro,
1: Bo Perbula. There you go. Bo
2: Perbula. Perbula. We're not going to a pronunciation. Number but, nine. Bo. Yeah, no, my guy, Bo. I'm just going to take with Bo. Bo. <laughs> like when he steps in in a game, like he, you can tell that he's a, a difference maker on the field, and you can't hold those type of guys back when the When it's time to get your shine, especially when, again, I hate to say it, transfer portal, everyone's out here to try to continue to boost up their resume. So if I'm a backup that's playing for Penn State and I get in a game against the ones, I'm trying to defeat that person because I'm still I'm still interviewing for my spot with the coaches. I'm still trying to maintain my leverage or where I'm at on this roster. So, I mean, for that standpoint, my, my thing to West Virginia fans is like, well, get some depth. Right. So it's like, I mean, not even depth because they had their ones in, but at the same time, that's a marking of a good team that still has that mentality of finish them off. Because the last thing that you want to do is when you put your backups in and the team starts scoring touchdowns on you have to put your starters back in, like that's when injuries happens and different things of that nature. So to see the backups come in and really finish the game again, I think that's another checkmark in that depth, that depth area, especially when you're talking about the longevity of season.
1: Penn State fans, Smack Apparel has the best gear for talking smack on game day. Head to SmackApparel.com today and check out their Let There Be White tee for the whiteout game against Iowa at Beaver Stadium. Also, there's Drink Up, Roar On, Saturdays We Are, and you can still get a Save a Couch, Beat WVU shirt. If you're watching this on YouTube, scan the QR code on the screen to take you to the website instantly on your phone. Visit SmackApparel.com and use our promo code STATE. 10 at checkout for 10% off your order. That's S-T-A-T-E-1-0. Again, that's smackapparel.com. Promo code STATE10 at checkout. Why wear boring when you can wear smack? Are you looking for undeniably good hair and beard care? Then Maestro's Classic is perfect for you. Maestro's has beard washes, beard oils, beard butters, plus hair gels, pomades, and now body washes. It's one brand. For every man visit maestrosclassic.com that's M-A-E-S-T-R-O-S classic.com and use our promo code state 20 that's state T E two zero at checkout for 20% off your order. Maestros classic crafting a better you. James Franklin's exact quote I found it here quote my responsibility in those types of situations is to get my twos in the game once they're in they deserve the right to play and compete. I believe that from the opening kick to the last whistle, you compete and you play. If you leave your ones in, that's a different story. When your twos go in the game, they get a limited amount of reps, both in practice and in the game. And he wanted to take advantage of those. So you make it that way, you will in terms of if you're somebody who thinks he ran up the score, I I genuinely don't think they did. Um, There were some names that were brought up during the press conference. And was something you and I talked about off air after our show on Saturday night, three notable players that were missing all on the defensive side of the ball. Daquan Hardy, Koziah Izard, and Amin Vanover, Uh, it was clarified that they're not out for the year. Uh, James Franklin did not elaborate on what their medical status or eligibility status is for the game. Uh, But he did go on to elaborate something specifically with the defense. Obviously, Daquan Hardy did not play against West Virginia, but he elaborated on what he expects for the nickel package for Penn State. Uh, especially with cam miller he said quote cam miller's role will continue to grow we didn't uh, play a whole lot of nickel versus west virginia the absence of daquan hardy i imagine playing a part in that uh franklin went on to say quote if we go into that johnny dixon will move to the nickel corner and cam miller cam miller will be in that package as well cam is that guy who's showing up a lot of different ways and he maximizes his time both on and off the field very well Um, from a defensive backs perspective you go into a nickel package. Johnny Dixon, typically a boundary corner, now potentially moving to a slot corner. Cam Miller, I am assuming, come in coming in as the backside boundary corner. Um, yeah. In your words, how does that change the way Penn State plays defensively?
2: I mean, it's interesting, right? Playing corner and then moving inside, I think, is a tough thing to ask, but I, that shows the confidence that and the ability of Johnny Dixon at that point. Like when you first said that, I'm like, well, that's a that's a pretty good bump up in your draft stock when you can play outside and inside at a high level and then power five. So, I mean, Johnny's a playmaker, a football player. I mean, we saw the different plays on the fade routes that he just he has a natural inclination of finding the ball, getting in phase and doing what DPs do. So with that being said, it's a tough, this is a tough situation to fall into without having a bunch of reps at nickel, but I just like the confidence and there's the skill ability across the board. I mean, I've heard great things about Cam Miller as well on the outside, but when you want to have a younger DB step in, you want him playing on the outside and not necessarily taking a nickel. You want that more um, advanced or senior corner that to move inside and play that nickel position because it's a very important position, football instincts and all those good things. And also the holes that show up when that position is not there can make the day pretty frustrating. Mm-hmm.
1: It's also been raised that oh Kaelin King was quiet against West Virginia. It's like yeah, because they didn't go at him. And you're
2: wearing
1: uh you're wearing Kalen King's uh, blue white mm-hmm. outfitters jersey, part of lockdown you right now. Uh, Kalen, I just you said it on the post show, just didn't they didn't go after him very much.
2: I mean, uh, and most people won't, right? I think until you get to like Ohio State or Iowa, some games like that where they're just gonna be like, hey, let's see what he's made of. But I think he's ready for it. I think he's one of the, from being around a lot of different DBs and corners, he's one of those guys that's wired a little different, like in the sense of ultra competitive, and he has a elite competitive nature and confidence in himself. So I, I would I would push my chips on him, like I like to say. <laughs>
1: <laughs> against West Virginia, James Franklin said that, especially staying with the defense, that the defensive ends got put in a lot of situations where there were probably one, maybe two tight ends chipping them and made it a little bit more difficult for them to do their thing, to get a lot of pressure. And he did say, yeah, I'd like to see guys like Adisa and Chop, deny get in there and be a little bit more aggressive. I, I expect almost a Jekyll and Hyde situation that, hey, they're a little quiet against West Virginia, I think it's going to be very different against Delaware. Like I said, Ryan O'Connor is a quarterback who holds the ball and makes one read, and then he tries to take off and make something happen, and he can throw into traffic a lot. So, A, you're probably going to see some turnovers, which is something James Franklin wants to see, but you're probably anticipating against this level of competition. And then if you're a defensive end, even if you get chipped by FCS tight ends, shouldn't matter all that much. In regard to the defensive line, both ends and tackles, what do you need to see this weekend and who do you need to see it from?
2: I would love to see an uptick from Danai, uh Dennis Sutton um, coming in and making some moves off the uh, pass rush, especially. I mean, I think Adisa flashed a lot in the last game. I mean, whether from a pass rushing standpoint or just a pressure from the defensive end perspective. When I say flash, you know, like just making plays in the backfield, causing disruptions and things of that nature. Um, and from the defensive line, you would love to see just, just pushback, knockback off the initial line of scrimmage, and just a dominating upfront force and, and playing from that standpoint. I think seeing those two things, more sound tackling from the outside linebackers, when we talk about moving forward in the season, you would like to see that as well. Um, but other than that, I, I think, like you said, it'll be like a Dr. Jekyll, uh, Mr. Hyde type of situation for this game.
1: And, and part of that is level of competition, and right. this is a really good opportunity, having just played West Virginia, you get this opportunity against an FCS opponent to fine-tune some things that went down this past weekend, because you're about to roll into Big Ten play on the road, again, uh, to start off Big Ten play, uh, I think for, like, what is it, the seventh or eighth year in a row? It's, it's, yeah substantial but you're going on the road against illinois um who didn't look great in their first week of the season but you just never know with brett bielema so that is something where both sides of the line of scrimmage you want to see the word dominant come up with how they do against delaware because rolling into what illinois can do on both sides uh that's going to be critical one thing um speaking of the line of scrimmage Uh, Offensive line, we talked about it. Unfortunately, Landon Tengwall has medically retired from football. It's a heartbreaking situation, friend of the show, and we wish him the best. J.B. Nelson slid in at left guard. And boy, did he look impressive! I mean, honestly, the the way that he played it was extremely physical, it was very violent. Um, according to James Franklin, he was internally named the quote offensive finisher of the week. So that, that what jumps to mind with me, and you could probably articulate this better than I is just that's the dude that when somebody starts something on the line of scrimmage, he finishes it.
2: You need those guys, especially at the left guard. We like like the center, like those dump truck type guys, right? We're just mean, nasty and get inside. I mean, he's 6'5", so something pounds. Like he's, a, he's a big guy in his own right. But I mean, again, having that depth up front and just from younger guys, that's a kudos to the recruiting staff back there to the Kendall and all those guys, AZ, Kenny, and Andy Frank keeping this thing flowing because that's, I mean, one of the essential areas of building a roster, right? Up front and making sure those areas are sound, especially on the offensive line. I'm big about how we find defensive linemen and the type of knockback and, you know, in the new age of football, you know, just moving into just the athletic defensive alignment and just away from, like, the big stout, you know, zero techs or three techs that just kind of sit it down or just extremely powerful but continue to have that dominant force on defense and offensive front because, again, we get back to the playoffs and you watch just historically front front seven on both sides have to be elite in order to compete at the end of the year.
1: Uh, Staying with uh, the offensive line, uh, Sal Wormley was starting at right guard, Caden Wallace, it sounded like they were very, very happy with the right tackle, still needs to get more consistent. That's the word you always hear associated with Caden, but it sounds like he had a very good camp and has taken some strides. I don't know if I'd put him in the same category as what Olofoshanu was able to do at left tackle, but... Olu was, according to Pro Football Focus, perfect against West Virginia. That doesn't surprise me in the (laughs) least, (laughs) which is mind-blowing. You know, you're like, something's bound to happen, but he had an outstanding game. Uh, The right side of the line of scrimmage, you feel good. Um, Also, James Franklin was revealing that Hunter Norzad is uh, banged up a little bit coming into the season, some things that have come in uh, during training camp and even categorized him as one of the best centers in America, if healthy, when healthy. And then you throw into the mix uh, Venga. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. I've heard Vega and Venga, Venga Yuane. He has an enormous first name. So forgive me, Big V, if I'm getting it wrong. But the dude is about 360 pounds. He moves like a dude probably, you know, 60, 70 pounds lighter than that. To be able to rotate him in there and Drew Shelton as well as interchangeable pieces on either side of the line of scrimmage, that cross training that gets discussed so much, it's that, yeah, even though Landon went down, there is some real depth, and the the challenge from James Franklin to these guys has been prepare like you're a starter and then play like you're a starter. Now, you were fortunate in that just about the second you walked on campus, you were a starter at Penn State, but you were in situations in the National Football League, high school, et cetera, where you have to have that mentality. How difficult is that, especially along the offensive line, where continuity, teamwork amongst those five is different than every other position in football?
2: I think it's imperative on the offensive line because, like you said, it's a plug and play type of situ- situation where if someone comes down and you step in, any chink in that chain or in that armor or that brick wall is a problem for everybody. Like everyone's going to talk about the offensive line; they're not going to single out like, "Hey, this guy had a bad game." It's like no, the whole offensive line was bad. But that is a that is a tip a, a mentality that you have to have. It's hard being a backup to just be mentally wired and ready to go in at all times, prepare like you're going to play do all these different things like you're ready to get after it and then all of a sudden that doesn't happen that's 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 a very hard thing to do and on the flip side if you're not and you get in the game and you're not ready to play everyone's looking like wait why aren't you ready to play so it it is an interesting space to play in but again we talk about the mentality of a team of just always being on that dominant force or always trying to get better or crush your opponent i mean they should be licking their chops to, like, hopefully I do get it and that and be ready to perform when they get in. Like, this, like my Tomlin says from still is like the standard is the standard. And so like, that should be the case amongst the recruiting staff and what they're bringing in from the offensive line, defensive line. That's from the coaching and how they bring people in. Like there should be a standard of the type of players that are even able to participate on these, in these units. Like that's how I feel about it. Right. When you talk about building a roster to, run and make it to the playoffs in college football. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, before I forget about him, uh, we were talking about the defense before, uh, Abdul Carter, James Franklin said in his press conference that Abdul flashed, quote, maybe didn't have the same type of production on the stat sheet as he has in the past, but he allowed us to do a lot of things, and you'll see his production continue to elevate. What did you see from Abdul against West Virginia that maybe left fans saying, hey, Abdul was quiet and not his dominant self that we got used to?
2: I think we saw a, a few missed tackles uh, running past some guys. that uh, seemed a little out of control when he was coming to balance or getting ready to make plays. Obviously, he runs around. He's a big, fast guy. Um, but I think last year there was a lot of a lot more efficient, re-diagnosed making contact with the ball carrier, different things of that nature making plays in the open field. Um, he had the, he had one he had a nice play uh tfl i think in the in the backfield and the sack and different things of that nature but just the impact that he had in the game from just even being there on the sidelines it was like you know i mean the, the lack of production did pique my interest of like okay what's going on here because there were just certain plays that is a top linebacker that i've seen from playing with top linebackers recruiting top linebackers that i expect them to make and then mm-hmm. sometimes that's expectations from that are placed externally, but at the same time, like I saw a PFF or some grading things that came out that were saying he did this, the pass rush. I have a different relationship with PFF. I know how all the different stats come in. We had them, and I just, I throw those out the garbage. Like there's a level of like what your eyes are seeing in the eye test that actually help into the impact of the game. So with that being said, I think this sky's still the limit from a skill standpoint, but you would like to see him tighten up some aspects of his game the next coming weeks
1: and I have no doubt that he's going to do that and again you got Curtis Jacobs a veteran who was a defensive player of the week last week for Penn State I believe 10 total tackles was all over the field and is really rounding out to be one of the better Penn State linebackers in the last 20 years I'm very curious to see how the remainder of this season goes because he could really etch his name amongst the elite at that position and then Kobe King I thought chipped in nicely but Abdul carter got a lot of hype last year and people want to see him live up to that I'm sure that's
2: i can't of- I, I, I mean, yeah. like we, even when you use the word hype I want to like temper that a little bit because I think there was hype but there was I mean he was producing right he yeah oh, yeah he was hype in national, yeah, national autos different than, like he was out there making plays even when, like he I didn't know who he was and I came to a game I was like yo who's number 11 <laughs> I don't know if I would have said that <laughs> yesterday besides like the different sizes and different things of that nature but I mean back to Curtis Jacobs, uh, just prior to the game, I talked to all my, my friends that are scouts and different things of that nature and getting their take, and he was somebody that jumped out uh, on the screen for them and that they were excited to see as well. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: in regards to the kicking game, this is something that certainly bothered Penn State fans, and it was something that I said on the preview episode going into West Virginia. I was like, I hope this is figured out. Sanders Sahadak, mm-hmm. rough day. Uh, Falcons comes in, does some mop-up duty, and does very well kicking the ball. Uh, James Franklin said on Tuesday that Sander actually got up in front of the team on Sunday, unprompted, and addressed the team, conducted himself very well. Uh, Franklin went on to say that Sander has earned everybody's respect and said that in camp, the competition was very close between Sahadak and Falcons, uh, but that they also have not made any clear-cut decisions at this point at place kicker. You have you've been on the, the staff before. Uh, you've mentioned it before. Kickers are different. It's 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 a neck up sort of thing. Sahadak stepping up that way and addressing the team is very very important. How do you handle this competition at place kicker in September?
2: I'm the kicker or just on staff?
1: Uh, both. <laughs> I mean now you now you got a guy in Sahadak who laid an egg. Not to be cruel, but it just didn't have a good game against West Virginia. And then the transfer Falcons came in and mopped up and did well and kicked successfully behind him. So do you do you start Sahadak again at place kicker? Do you start Falcons and let the co- competition continue?
2: It's a scarcity business. I think you give him an opportunity a second game. Like you say, take accountability for what's going on and see what happens. But at the end of the day, it's up for him to – I mean, not only walk the walk and take accountability, but you still have to perform. That's the one thing about football is like we always say, like even from DBs or you see somebody do a one hand, like a one clap after a messed up play, like, yeah, that's that's on me. or That's my bad. It's like, I don't want to hear that. Like, fix it, right? So like, even with that being said, great day to take accountability, but at the same time, it's a scarcity business. So you roll with them. Something happens, make the switch and keep it moving.
1: My expectation for this Saturday, Penn State hosting Delaware, Uh, For Penn State's defense, I think you're going to see the defensive ends shine, hopefully a lot in the sack column and actually getting a substantial amount of pressure, I think, against this level of opponent. It should be expected. The standard is the standard, as you like to say, as James Franklin likes to say. I expect the safeties also to step up. I think we saw four, maybe five safeties rotate into the game and play well against West Virginia. This is a Delaware offense that, like I mentioned, it's run-pass option. They like to put three, four, five wide receiver sets out there. They like to get the ball vertical, considering that you got a quarterback that, like I said, it's one read and he tends to lock in. I feel like Penn State's safeties might be, or uh, certainly the deeper part of the secondary right now, and could come away with some turnovers. On the flip side, for Penn State's offense, you should be able to do whatever you want. This is a secondary that likes to roll out six, seven, eight guys. It's multiple looks, it's complicated alignments, and that it's going to force a Drew Aller to process some things. And that when you look at this team on tape, they don't line up in conventional formations. You'll see three down linemen, but they'll bring five or six, and then they may back off potentially eight guys in cover, some zone, some man. They'll play off a good amount. This is going to be an interesting game for Aller, I think, in that respect, just to handle those things, but I have no doubt that he, that he can't handle them. I think he will do just fine against this secondary. Overall, going into this weekend, is there a particular player that you want to see? It's like, hey, I'd like to see this guy do something, or is there a particular facet of what went down against West Virginia that they're like? If they get this locked up before Illinois, I feel really confident.
2: I would love to see, like if was talking about, the knockback from the run game and the de- defensive tackle just making plays in the backfield. I'd love to see him continue to step up from Abdul. right? I think he's a power force for the defense. When we talk about elite defense, it's, a lot of it is predicated on him playing at an elite level. Um, he's elite talent at the end of the day. Uh, and the same thing with the safeties. I think I was I mean, not surprised, but like Keaton had a great game, just playing sound football, making plays and different things of that nature and rotate and get different guys in there. Um, continue to uptick on uh, like KJ Winston on the, on the back end from the safety position. Like you said, like having those mainstays at safety that you can bank on. And I mean, you would love to see Dante Cephas have some, um, I would say a coming out party or just getting a little bit more involved into the offense. And, I would love to see Theo as well <laughs> like mm-hmm. come out of the game and see uh, he'll make some plays. So, I mean, just some of the, the weapons that they didn't use week one and just saying like, hey, what else is in the in the pouch or the arsenal of weapons?
1: And if things go well enough, I certainly expect to see Bo Prabula at some point because I think coming into the season, we were anticipating seeing like a specific package for Prabula. We didn't see that against West Virginia. Like he got in the game, but it wasn't like, hey, hours got three you know, three series and then in comes Perbula or in just in for a flash play here and there. You didn't see that, and that's fine. I have no problem with that. I, I want to see a little bit more Probula and, hell, I'd like to see a little bit of Jackson Smolik because it sounds like he had a good camp. So, uh, against this type of opponent, against uh, a UMass in a number of weeks, these are the times where you can get really down there on the depth chart and see what guys have for the future. How's Absolutely. I agree. Thank you. Thank you all so much for joining us. Uh, We appreciate it. Uh, Hop in the comments section. Let us know what you think of what happened this past weekend at West Virginia and what you are hoping to see against Delaware this Saturday. Again, that's at noon Eastern on Peacock. So if you don't have Peacock, uh, go about whatever you have to do to get Peacock. So like, comment, rate, subscribe. Thank you all so much and uh, enjoy Penn State versus Delaware this Saturday. Thank you all so much for joining us. This episode and our entire library of shows is available now on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. TuneIn, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And of course, let us know what you think of the show on Twitter at TheKing1 and at Tom Hannafin. State of State is presented by BetOnline.